feel like I need to introduce myself to you guys again. <laughs> it's been a while. My name is Thad Blunt. I'm the pastor here at Grace Community Church. Um, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Second Peter. Second Peter in the first chapter. I've entitled the message this morning, uh, Growing in a Corrupt World, and then there's the subtitle, They Won't Go Away. Uh, That might be how we feel as parents as the kids get older. They just won't go away. They keep coming back and 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 coming back. And if you're a young family and have a lot of little kids, you'll find out one day they keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And they eat your food, and we should have little baskets in the kitchen where they can contribute. I have my sons, uh, we're all here this weekend, and it's been a blessing and great time, but man, the food goes rapidly, and I mean rapidly. Um, you know, I just wanted to eat a bowl of cereal the other night, and one of my sons says, Dad, it's all gone. It's gone. It's gone. The milk's gone. The chicken's gone. Dad's doing the cooking, and Mom's doing the cooking, and we're the last ones to eat, and there's a little bit left. It's like, they just won't go away. I love my boys. But this morning, we want to consider what what does not go away in this text. You might want these things to go away. In fact, if you were uh, one of the original readers of this letter, (laughs) you might, if you had an opportunity to talk with Peter, go, look, man, how many times are you going to use this phrase, these things? How many times are you going to bring up these sanctifying things that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7? Um. And he continues to mention them over and over again. In fact, if you look in your Bibles, I want you to see this. Second Peter chapter 1 and, and verse 8, he says, For if these, and then some translations have an italicized uh, qualities. But you could just say, for if these, verse 8. You go down to verse 9. For he who, he who lacks these. You go down to verse 10. At the end of the verse, for as long as you practice these things. I mean, it's like, come on, Peter. How much can you write about these things? Well, look down in verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of what? These things. Then you go down to verse 15. And I will also be diligent, Peter said, that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call be able to call what these things to mind. He wanted them to be familiar with these things. Not only the things that relate to salvation, but specifically, I believe, Peter is pointing out the things he discussed in verses 5 through 7. These sanctification things that we need to give attention to if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this, these are some pretty penetrating verses, verses 8 through 11. I mean, they require more than just an average glance. Um, they require us to really thoroughly engage these verses. What in the world is Peter wanting for these believers who are growing up in a corrupt culture? Well, we're growing up in a corrupt culture. What do we need to know about these things? Well, we need to know, first of all, that the Lord, if you're in Christ today, the Lord wants you to grow. Do you know that? He wants you to grow. He does not want you to remain stagnant. He does not want you to consider, well, I'm saved and that's good enough. No. We're saved and we've been set apart. And specifically set apart to these things that make us more Christ-like. You know, Peter's not the only one that had a list of things. And I want to just take you just briefly by way of example to one passage of Scripture, which I know you memorized because we went through the book together. I want you to go with me back to Colossians real quick this morning just to illustrate the fact that not only did Peter focus on things as it related to becoming Christ-like, but also the Apostle Paul did. In fact, Paul has several lists that you could go to. Um, I think if there's a growing concern that I have as a pastor, uh, for my own life, because I don't want to just pick on you, for my own life and for the lives of believers today is that we progress in our relationship with Christ, that we grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in our relationship with him. I'm afraid there's far too many that are just um, really babies who are sucking their thumb, so to speak, and sucking on the bottle and really not progressing in their own individual walk with the Lord. And do you know, guys, that's up to you, right? That's up to you. As we learned in this section of Scripture, you're to supply to your faith. Right? You're responsible. There's a responsibility. And I don't know about you, but wow, that's pretty heavy when you think about it. I love being saved. I love salvation. I love all the benefits that I have in being in Christ. But did you know that it's God's plan that I grow in relationship to Him? So that as we face that we were singing about earlier this morning, looking on that video, as we face these difficulties and struggles, and in the context of Second Peter, as we face false teachers, we know we're standing on solid ground. We know that, see? And so it's important that we embrace this idea of growing in Christ. In chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul says, And so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Here's this list, the sanctification list. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And he continues and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. And he discusses the importance, those who have been chosen of God, those who are elect, those who are his, it's respon- we're responsible if we're his to grow. Um, so I believe we should commit to memory these things that Peter discusses in chapter 1. 
We should commit them to memory. We should meditate on these things. And then we should ask ourselves in evaluation, Lord, how are these things going in my life? I promise you, if you spend time doing that, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, pretty heavy. Remember what Peter told them? Look at verses 5 through 7. Um, 5 through 7 of chapter 1. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, what does he say? In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, what? Knowledge. And in your knowledge, what? Self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. Now you ought to stop right there and consider those things first because those things directly affect you individually. Right? But the last two, they go beyond your life. Then he says, in verse 6 and 7, as he introduces them to godliness, he says, and in your godliness, what? Brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So that brotherly kindness is my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So as I'm growing, now listen, this is very important. As I'm growing in my relationship to Christ, then I'm able to see my brothers and sisters in Christ like they need to be seen properly. I'm not picking and I'm not choosing. I'm saying, Lord, they belong to you. I need to be engaged in their life. I need to know what's going on in their life. My question becomes, are we aware of our brothers and sisters in Christ? When we come here on a Sunday, when we go out of the building and we're engaged with other believers, are we aware of what's going on in their life? Well, I think according to Peter, we should be. We can't d demonstrate brotherly kindness unless we're involved. Now, for some people, that's uncomfortable. Now, you find that women are much more easy to share, right? They, they enjoy doing that. And men are just a little more, right, like this. You know? Hey, guys, did you know that the Lord set up the body of Christ in such a way that I'm different from you and you're different from me and I need you to be engaged in my life and you need me to be engaged in your life. That's the way it works. And so brilliant. God designed it that way. So if these things then are going on in my life, then I'm seeing my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ like I need to. And then he says, and in your brotherly kindness love, I'm seeing the world like I need to see the world. Aren't you concerned for the world? Anybody concerned for the world in here? Yeah, I mean, my goodness. This culture, right? The United States of America is not a nation under God in the sense of you see everyone in this nation submitting themselves to God. Do you see that? I don't. The majority of people think those of us who are following Christ are fools. You understand that? They think we're foolish. They think we've been brainwashed. You know what? If you're in Christ today, 
You haven't been brainwashed, you've been saved. <laughs> and you have a new life. And it's not about this life. And you're able to see ahead. I need to see my brothers and sisters in Christ through the Word of God, but I also need to see the world through the Word. Well, these things are critical to growth. I even I think I put that in the slide previous. Got that out of order. These things are critical to growth. So we need to memorize these things. We need to put these things, right? We need to put them in our, our Bible. We need to, to think through them. Whatever it is, wherever we're going, we need to think through these things. That's what Peter wanted for these guys. He wanted them to think through these things. You think about a child... When a child's growing up and, and they get to be, I don't know, I forget how old, but three, four, or five years old, what are we doing? We're saying their ABCs, right? We want them to learn their ABCs. Why? Because we want them to read. And how many times do you say the ABCs to little children? Just once? No. It's over and over and over and over and over again, probably to the point of nausea, but it's like A, B, C, D, F, G, and on and on and on, and we're even singing to these kids. We want them to know it. Why? Because we want them to read. Listen to me. God wants us to grow in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take lists like this and look at them, not like, wow, this is impossible but I've got good news for you. If you're in Christ today, the Spirit of God, as you yield to Him, will enable you to grow in these things. So just like we teach our children the ABCs because we want them to be able to read, we want them to be able to function. You know what? The Lord wants us to function properly. In order to function properly as a believer in our sanctification, we need to understand why these things are so critical. And Peter answers that. We don't have to guess as to why. He answers it. And he begins with the positive instruction in verse 8. I want you to look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8 of Second Peter 1. Notice what he says. He begins to talk about the results in verses 8 through 11. And in verse 8, he, he lands on a positive Notice what he says. He says, for if these are yours and are increasing. All right, so first of all, those two little phrases are really important. He says, for if these are yours, that word are, or some translations might have be, if these be yours, be is really a better translation. If these be yours, that word there, be, is a very strong term in the Greek language. And it has the idea of possession. If these be yours, possession. In fact, the word was used in that culture of one possessing land, one owning land. We're, we're pretty, aren't we pretty possessive when we own something? Yeah, we are. That's my house. That's my car. That's my land, right? That's my cow. That's my goat. That's my chicken. Those are my kids. We understand the idea of possession. And that's the term here. For if these be yours. And notice he says, and are increasing. So if these be yours and are increasing. That word increasing is an interesting word 
in the, in the original. It means superabounding. It means overflowing. I love the picture of overflowing, right? I don't know, for whatever reason, I was thinking about that term this week, and I was thinking about popcorn, right? And, and, and you go to the movie theater, and you pay $150 to get in, and then you pay $200 for the popcorn and the Coke, right? And, and they fill that Coke up, and they never put enough ice in the thing. But they put Coke in there, but that popcorn, man, when you get that box of popcorn, you want that popcorn doing what? Overflowing, right? You don't want that popcorn, if this is the box coming up to here, you want it outside the box. You want it overflowing. I get real excited. You know, I like also about the theater, as a side note, isn't it great to be able to control the butter intake on that? <laughs> By the way, if you're on a 1,500-calorie diet like I am right now, that doesn't work out too well, right? But he says, for if these are yours and are increasing, overflowing, superabounding in your life, and, you know, we look at that and we go, man, how in the world, Lord? Let's just stop and be still for a second. How in the world, Lord? I mean, you look at that list and you go, you know the key? The key to these things taking place in my life, in your life, is coming under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, I cannot say that to you. In fact, I don't think from now to whenever the Lord takes me away from grace... I think it's appropriate to say it every week because we cannot live victorious Christian lives without yielding to the Spirit of God. We can't do it. So the key is submitting ourselves, coming under the control of the Spirit of God. You know, Paul, after he makes that lot of different list in Ephesians, he writes this, and in the context of relationships, you know, all that marriage stuff and kids, and, and, and he, he's talking about, right, these relationships. But in the middle of that, right before he gets to those things, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess, but be what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. I like what Kenneth Weiss says about this idea of possession, possessing these virtues. He says, um, I have this for you, I'm sorry. Getting back used to that. The possession of the Christian virtues by the believer, look what he says, The possession of the Christian virtues that he mentions here in 5 through 7, of the Christian, he says, is a natural expected thing by reason of the fact that he has become a partaker of the divine nature, verse 4. That's what he says. We're new, we're different. The question is, are we living different? You know, once you're justified, once you're declared righteous, you're declared righteous. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. By the way, you can't walk out of that. You know, once you're saved, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, we've been sealed by the Spirit. Right? We are His. Forever His. 
But wow, this whole issue of submitting myself daily to the Spirit of God, right? That's a big deal. But, but, but it, and it's important because if I want to be Christ-like, I have to do that. Um, Paul talks about this in a language. I want you to take your Bibles and I want to hear those Bibles. Go back to 2 Corinthians or your phones. I guess I can't hear your phones. Um, but 2 Corinthians, so many people do phones now. That's fine. Second uh, Corinthians uh, in the fifth chapter. Wow, this is a good chapter. You know, the good part in here that Peter's saying to these guys, look, you, you possess these things. The question becomes, are you yielding so that the Spirit's working through you? Uh, Peter uh, puts it that way. Paul puts it another in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ, look at this, for the love of Christ controls us. That word control means dominate, dominates us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Now look at verse 15. And he died for all that they who live should no longer, what? You tell me, what does it say? Should no longer live for themselves. That's how we were characterized before Christ. We were living for ourselves, right? It was all about us. There's this big circle and it's got I, right? Me, it's all about me. But after Christ, I mean, you have to consider what Paul wrote in Philippians. For to me, what did he say? He said, to me, to live is Christ. Interesting pronoun. He doesn't say for to us or for to you. He says for to me. Why? Because it was true of him. For to him to live was Christ, to die is gain. Is it true for us? See? He says, look, verse 15, that they should no longer live for themselves, but for him, and we'll talk a little bit more about this last part next week as we consider verse 9, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, here it is, therefore, if any man is what? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation, different. You know, before Christ, I was dead. My friends, listen to me. I've been regenerated by him. I've been made alive, right? I'm alive. He made me that way. He made me alive. Notice what he says. He is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Oh my goodness. And you consider, wow, new things have come. Haven't they? Man, just take one example. One new thing that has come since I've come to know Christ. You know what? I have a future that is certain. That's what's come. I know where I'm going when I die. How about you? You know for sure? See, is it just religion to you? Is it, well, I'm just, I'm in the right place. They say that grace place opens the Bible. I'm in the right place. Or I give the right amount of money. Or I teach this class. It's not my own righteousness, guys. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. It's nothing I've done. I can't do a thing. 
to earn right favor before God. Christ did it for me. I've been dressed with his righteousness. Wow. So I think about that. Then, okay, well then, you know what? That means he owns me. He owns me. I'd have to say that in our culture, people like to own things. Wouldn't you? And have you ever made a list of all the things you own? Wouldn't that be a fun exercise this afternoon? I might even put you to sleep. All the things that you own. You know, the Bible tells me I've been bought with a price. I've been bought. The Lord owns me. He owns that blunt. Okay, so, all right, well, okay, I get that. Well, now what? Well, Peter tells us. Notice what he says. Verse 8, for if these things are yours possession, you own them and are increasing or superabounding. You're going to like this. They render you neither useless. Wow, who wants to, who likes that label, right? Useless. I remember when I was growing up, and you, you, ever, um, you ever been in a place where, when we were growing up, we had this alley we went to, all of us kids, and we went to this alley, and, and no, whatever season it was, you know, that's the sport that we played, right? You remember those days when kids played outside? Well, if you were like the captain of the team and you got to choose, that was cool. But if you were the last one chosen, bad deal, right? You felt what? Useless. You felt like you were nobody. I got good news for you guys. No matter what the world may say, if you're in Christ, you're somebody. In fact, Peter says here to them, he says, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Those are kind of synonymous terms. The idea here of these two terms is idle. Okay, idle or unproductive. He says, they render you neither idle nor unproductive in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I like what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this section of scripture he says peter is saying that if one pursues i want you to hear this if one pursues these characteristics they won't be idle or useless or unproductive in becoming more like christ and i want you to get that last phrase so when we think of idle right becoming idle we think of of work a person and that really is the term here we think of a person who's not working Okay, they're idle. They're not doing anything. Well, in church culture, what does that equate to? Busyness. Well, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. But that's not the point of this text. Peter's not talking about activity with these guys. What's he talking about? Christ-likeness, becoming like Christ. And that's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, Peter's saying that if one pursues these characteristics... That's the issue here. The moral excellence and the knowledge and the self-control and the perseverance and the godliness and the brotherly kindness and the love. That's the issue. 
for the believer. In other words, there needs to be consideration of whether or not one is idle or unproductive in becoming more like Christ. It's becoming more like Christ that's the issue in my life. You know, so many churches make it about activity. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What ministry are you in? What ministry are you in? Is there no, there's nothing wrong with being in ministry. But first things first. You know what's first thing in your life and my life as a believer? Growing in Christ. That's what's first. You know what happens after that? Hey guys, if we're growing in Christ, all these things, right, that are going on in life and ministry in terms of the church, if we're truly growing, those things will just be naturally coming out of us. Do you know that? Just gonna come out. It's like that popcorn overflow. They'll be coming out. Why? Because we'll understand just how important it is for those kids in Awana to get saved. And we'll understand how important it is for those kids to grow in their relationship to Christ in Awana and youth group and college and all that stuff. And it won't be, it won't be, oh, this is just an activity in our church. This is what we do. No. It'll be about the fact that these kids need Christ and these kids need to grow in Christ. We don't have Sunday school just to have Sunday school or small group just to have small group. We do those things, why? There's a reason. We want to grow in our relationship to Christ. That's why we do it. And that's the issue here. Peter doesn't want these guys to be idle or unproductive. So I have to ask you this question in reference to this verse. And I think it's an important question to consider. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? I've had to deal with this question all week long, so I'm going to ask you now. What are you pursuing in your life? Is it busyness or Christ-likeness? There's a big difference. There are a lot of busy people in churches. Huh. Busy. How many of you are you busy? Right? Busy. There's a lot of busyness in churches. But it seems like to me that Peter isn't talking about that at all. How about it? You see any, he's not talking about that. He's talking about Christ-likeness. In fact, it's not the first time he talked about this. If you go back to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter says to them, therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice this next verse, as obedient children... By the way, do you notice something with that? As obedient children? What is that? That's an assumption. As obedient children. Right? Do not be conformed to the former lust. Uh Uh-oh. Notice what he says. Which were yours in your ignorance. Did you know that before you came to Christ, you were ignorant? You were walking foolishly. You were walking according to the prince of the power of this world. You were committing yourselves to those things. Man, we see so many people today that have put themselves under the authority of the enemy. 
Guys, listen, you know what the difference is for these believers and Peter's writing it and we better listen. We're not under the authority. Listen to me. We are not under the authority of the enemy. We're under the authority of the Lord. He has the right to our life. So he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Wow, that's a really precious phrase. The Holy One who called you. You remember that day that the Lord called you out? You remember that moment? I remember that moment. I was seven years old and I was being witnessed to by a gentleman and, and he's going through the gospel with me. And, and I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I was sitting on that kitchen counter. And I'm like, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and my need for Christ. And right there on that kitchen counter, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I remember that time when he called me. Now notice what he says though. He doesn't stop there. But like the Holy One who called you, be what in your, all your behavior? What does he say? Be holy, be separate. That's the word. Be separate yourselves in all your behavior. My friends, listen to me. Peter's proven the argument in Second Peter. He's about to write about these false teachers in chapter two. And they, listen to me, they are totally the antithesis of what the believer is to be. They're the enemy. They are enemies of Christ. Know what we know, aren't we glad we're not enemies of Christ? Big deal. He says, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So are you a busy Christian or are you working on Christ's likeness? Martin Lloyd-Jones has a couple of paragraphs I want to read to you for your consideration this morning before I give you three things that I want you to consider as you leave today. He writes this, Concerning these verses, he says, we are to be diligent in the cultivation of the virtues and graces of Christ. You know, the opposite of the term idle, right, in, in, in verse 8 is the term diligence in verse 5. <laughs> so we're to be diligent in the cultivation of the virtues and graces of Christ. And then he writes this, your activity then will be determined by the Holy Spirit, Ah, that's good. Your activity then will be determined by the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. And not by your own fleshly excitement. Not by your own nervous pressure. Not by your own delight in being busy and active. Because there is some satisfaction, although I think it's kind of false, in being busy and active, Right? You know what this is, guys? Peter's putting, Peter's putting priority to the lives of these believers. And I'm gonna tell you right now, the priority for each one of us, listen to me, we need to, for, and I know this is gonna sound like a strange request. I hope it's taken in, in the vein that I'm presenting it. We need to consider what are we willing to sacrifice to lay to the side so that we're putting relationship with Christ and growing deeper first. That sounds nuts, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. You're not in an activity just to be in an activity. There's purpose behind it. 
He goes on to write, he says, mere mechanical activism is not very fruitful. (laughs) You know what's going to happen to you if you're just involved in an activity that may be a great activity. It might even be a WANA or it might be a youth group. If you're just involved in an activity to be involved in the activity, you know what's going to happen? You're going to quit. You'll stop. You'll stop doing it. You know what? This challenged me so much in the last several weeks as I was looking at this to consider, Dad, why are you doing the things you're doing? How are they connected to your own personal growth in Christ? Then he writes this. He says, mere mechanical, uh, mere mechanical activism is not very fruitful. Then he says, just look at it in regards to the church today. Now, I want you to hear this. Look at the busyness and the organized activity of the church. But what is it producing to what is it leading, right? What is the goal of the activities, right? These ladies' Bible studies, what are they just to have Bibles? We want them to grow in relationship to Christ. He goes on to say, though we have multiplied our organizations and institutions, the number of church members is dwindling, by the way, churches are shrinking. Do you know that? I went and got my son from Iowa. There's a lot of pavement between here and Iowa. You know what else there is? There's a lot of corn between here and Iowa, mainly in Iowa. A lot of corn in Iowa. I mean, a whole lot of corn in Iowa. You talk about overflowing, there's a picture of overflowing. But do you know... My wife and I, one day, we went to return a car that we had rented in in Des Moines. And um, we were driving by this small town. And I saw it, the sign. It said, Perry Bible Church. Now, if you've ever been up to Iowa, uh, those aren't on every corner. A lot of Lutherans in Iowa. You want to see Lutherans? Go to Iowa. They're there. And there's different sects of Lutherans, right? Different branches of Lutherans. I mean, we would say there's liberal and moderate and conservative. A lot of different branches. A lot of what I would call organized religion in Iowa. You know what happened? When I drove by that church, I thought, Lord, I need to pray for Perry Bible Church. Man, they're small in comparison to all these churches out there that I'm not sure advocating the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this couple more things. He says, though we have multiplied our organizations and institutions, the number of our church members is dwindling. Why? There are a lot of factors, but you wonder if one of the reasons it's dwindling is because those who, are, who would say, hey, I'm saved, aren't given any attention at all to sanctification. I believe that's a big problem. I do, I really do. He says, the number of church members is dwindling. The number of people attending places of worship becomes less and less. How many people in your neighborhood are driving out with you on Sunday morning? 
The busyness is unfruitful, he says. But if we indulge in the true Christian activity, it will become fruitful. You know what, you know what uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying? Let's concentrate on these things. These things that help me grow in my relationship to Christ. Let me give you um, three things to think about as we leave this morning. The results of pursuing Christ-likeness, right? If we say, hey, look, okay, I need to think about this busyness and Christ-likeness thing in my own life. Let me give you three things to think about. Results of pursuing Christ-likeness. What will that look like? First of all, we become attractive to others. You say, hold on a second, Thad. I mean, what are we talking about here, right? We talking about compromise? Not talking about that at all. But do you know if you're a genuine believer in Christ, when, when there's terminal sickness that comes in your family or when there's a death in your family, do you know that people are watching how you handle that? They're watching you. We can become attractive to others as we identify with, hey, we have hope in Christ. We believe there's something beyond this life. So we become attractive to others when we say no to the things that the world's saying yes to. Right? The world says, ah, truth doesn't matter. We say truth does matter. Um, we might not like the flies that are coming around us too much because they're going to ask questions that are going to be difficult, but we become attractive to others in a good way. Secondly, we will become more sympathetic and understanding of people and their problems. Guys, listen, if we pursue these things, right, we grow in our relationship to Christ, we'll become more sympathetic and understanding of people and their problems. And we don't have to look too far to find people with problems. And thirdly, it will give us knowledge and understanding, resulting in opportunities to teach others. Hey, guys, um, you look at that last one and you go, oh, well, I'm not going to teach that. I don't have, well, yeah, you are. I got some great news for you, all of you are teachers. Do you know that? You're all teachers. You say, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. Well, you're a teacher. I don't care if you want to be a teacher or not. You're a teacher. Parents teach their children. Brothers teach their sisters. Sisters teach their brothers. You can try to run away from it, right? I tried to run hard away from teaching. Run, 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 run. And I remember the first opportunity I had to be involved in the lives of people teaching the Bible. I just wanted to, you know, you never wanted to just, you know, go and squeeze your grandmother so hard she couldn't breathe. But I did. I wanted to do that. 1984, I'll never forget it. I left Southeastern. I went to Russellville, Arkansas. And my grandparents were attending this little Presbyterian church. And my grandmother was so happy to have me there. And she said, Thad, I just want to let you know something. I said, okay. And she said, I told my pastor that you'd love to teach the youth group. <laughs> like, Grandma, why'd you tell him that? Because you're studying to be a youth pastor. I said, no, I'm not. And at that time, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I remember, guys, that was my introduction to, you know what? We do teach. 
we might not want to teach. That was a formal setting. But I remember walking in that room and there was about 10 to 12 teenagers and I was like, I was 20 years old and I was like, Lord, I am not worthy to be in this place with these kids. But you know what? I only knew two things at that time. I knew I loved the Lord and I knew I loved his word. And by golly, do you know what they wanted me to teach? You said it, the book of Revelation. (laughs) Those poor kids. I've asked the Lord for forgiveness many times. Knowing me, I probably didn't get out of chapter one, which is probably a good thing. Guys, listen. Peter's thought process for these believers, as you're going to see even next week, it's all about these things. It's all about our growth and relationship to Christ. Do you think it's possible? I'll end with this. Do you think it's possible for us to be still for just a few moments and say, Lord, where am I really with you? You know, is is my life just this activity stuff going on and, and, and where church is just a checklist You know, my devotions are just a checklist. Or am I really considering the things that you're wanting me to know about who you are? Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, admit we need you. This is great news that you gave through Peter to these guys. That these guys would possess and superabound in these things. They would be productive and fruitful Christians. Lord, I think we have it backwards in the church somewhat. I pray you'd help us to get it right. Help us to understand that it's not the activity you're looking for. Oh, that's going to come. But it's going to come as a result of us being locked in in our relationship. Being led by the Spirit of God and not by the pressure of of people. Help us to recognize the difference. Help us to know, Lord, that your spirit is the one who guides us and the one who leads us. And Lord, I pray that we would know as we leave this place today that you're looking for surrendered hearts and lives. You want us to submit ourselves daily and yield ourselves daily to the spirit of God. And all these things that we look at in verses five through seven, Through a human lens, they look impossible. But thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit by which we can please you as we yield to you and grow in these things so that we're able to see our brothers and our sisters correctly and so that we're able to see the world correctly. Or we don't want to be useless Christians. We don't want to be unproductive Christians in these things. We want to grow and the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we've not been left alone to try to accomplish that, but that your spirit resides in us and has given us the power to be able to do these things as we yield to him. Help us, Lord, to this afternoon and the moments this week, consider, are we just busy? 
pursuing busyness or are we truly pursuing Christ-likeness? Because as you tell us, you want us to be holy, set apart in all things to you. Help us to reflect as we close in song this morning. Where are we in our relationship to you? We pray all this in Jesus' name.